the apostles returned to Jesus. And they told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these three verses. And Father, I pray that you would please help us to meditate upon what Jesus is doing and saying here and what it means for our lives, Lord. We pray, God, that you would speak in this moment um, through this text to encourage, to edify, to convict, and to draw us nearer to you, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would speak through me, uh, that it would... In this moment, you would help me, Father, to, in humility, move out of the way for your spirit to speak clearly what you would have us to hear this morning from this text. So we love you, and we praise you, and we pray that you would work in this moment, God, as we read your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 30, and the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done all that they had done and taught now the apostles have been busy at work you remember two weeks ago jesus commissioned the 12 to participate in the mission of god on their own for the first time jesus sent them out two by two on a short-term mission trip and so if you look back at verses 7 through 13, I want to read that again so we can get a feel for what these apostles have just come back from. So in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics, and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. Now it's hard to imagine what the apostles have experienced between the last conversation with Jesus and now this present conversation with Jesus. In the days that followed Jesus' commissioning of them, the apostles would have nervously confronted demons, <laughs> diseases. They would have preached and preached and preached about the kingdom of God. They would have ministered to the masses and traveled from region to region, not knowing where they were going to stay when they got there. And Jesus prepared them that a lot of times no one's going to let you stay with them. You're going to have nowhere to go and you're just going to need to leave on to the next place and dust, dust your clothes off and just move on to the next thing. Between last conversation with Jesus and this conversation with Jesus, the apostles certainly would have experienced a lot of anxiety, they would have experienced rejection. Jesus had prepared them for that. They would have experienced spiritual warfare along with all the physical uncomfortabilities with travel in the first century. 
travel in the 21st century comes with its stresses. Right? Just I was, Bethany said that there's no more stressful time for Drew than when he's like taking his shoes off at the uh, airport, you know, like when you're going, I feel that, right? There's stresses, right? Keep moving, put your computer in the bag. I mean, we, like a long day of travel, you just sat in a cushiony airplane for like two hours at the end. You're like, man, I'm just so tired from traveling today. I sat in a cushion for two hours and watched a movie and drank some coffee, and I just wore out from traveling today. These guys were traveling in the first century. So that meant cold nights, hot days, and long, long walks carrying everything that you have. Mark's telling us something about the nature of the Christian ministry by the way he tells the story of the apostles being sent out and returning. Um, We've seen in the Gospel of Mark, perhaps you haven't if you're new to, to our church, but as we've been journeying through this book, you get to learn how particular authors put particular things. And one thing that Mark does, he uses this little literary device, uh, uh, the more, uh, uh, I guess the non-technical term is, he sandwiches stuff. He tells a little bit of a story, and then he interrupts that story with another story in the middle, and then he comes back to his original story, Right? And all three of the things put together in the sandwich is supposed to interpret one another. It's supposed to make one big point. And he does that here. We've seen him do it several times, and he does it here. What we see is, is the apostles being sent out for ministry. And then, all of a sudden, there's an interruption to tell the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. And then we come back to the story, and the apostles are returning from their ministry. So apostles are sent... John the Baptist is beheaded, apostles return. Now remember, John the Baptist is beheaded for participating in the same kind of ministry that is kingdom preaching ministry that Jesus is sending the apostles out to do. So we should not read too quickly when we read that John the Baptist last week has his head cut off. This is like a somber moment. By Jesus' own confession, John the Baptist is one of the most faithful men ever. And then you have this verse in Mark 6, 29. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his, being John's body, and laid it in a tomb. John has been beheaded for proclaiming truth. And his disciples want to honor him properly, so they personally come and retrieve his headless body. Well, we can read Mark 6, 29 super quickly and just, oh, it's part of the story. But sometimes you get out of stock and say, no, somebody actually retrieved John's body from the prison without the head and took it to give it a proper burial, knowing the reason he died was because he was faithful to King Jesus. Mark 6, 29 is a dark moment. And it's a window into what faithfulness to King Jesus in a world of evil kings can lead to. In fact, the first century readers would have identified with this, right? We've talked about before that Mark is written to Roman Christians as persecution is beginning to spread widely across the Roman Empire. They would have identified with being rejected, the danger of death for following King Jesus. These Christians knew 
the cost of pledging allegiance to King Jesus rather than the kings of the world. So Mark tells the story of the apostles being sent out, John the Baptist being beheaded, and now the apostles returning as a big sort of sandwich to help the readers see that they're not in the wrong when they suffer for following Jesus. They're in good company. Mm -hmm. They're in the company of the apostles and John the Baptist. When things are hard, when you're just trying to be faithful, it's not that you've made a mistake. Like, John the Baptist, whom Jesus says is the most faithful, had some of the most intense difficulties. And so, so there's a truth being communicated even the, by the way Mark puts this together, and it's this. We're going to look at, and, and, and we're going to fly through these things. We're going to look at two truths, four implications of those truths, and two takeaways. And you're like, Lord, we're going to be here till lunch. <laughs> two truths, four implications, and two takeaways. Here's the first truth I think Mark's trying to get across. The Christian mission is difficult, tiring, and costly. Mm. The Christian mission is difficult, tiring, and costly. The apostles return from their labor, and Mark comments. This is Mark sort of like entering in a little explanation. He comments that there were so many people making demands that they did not have time for leisure. In fact, they did not have enough time to eat. So the same way that we've seen crowds pressing in around Jesus, making demands of him, the apostles have now experienced that for a period of time. They are exhausted, so busy, they got no time for food. Chick-fil-A was not a thing. Fast food was not a thing. And so if you did not have time to prepare, then you did not have time to eat. And perhaps you know the feeling. Perhaps you know the feeling of trying to be faithful, but being exhausted. Sometimes faithfulness looks like exhaustion. Sometimes faithfulness looks like busyness. Sometimes it looks like chaos. Sometimes it looks like there's so much going on, there's barely time to eat. And if you're here this morning and you're trying to be a good wife, church member, disciple maker, and mom, mom to small children, you know what it's like not to have time to eat, right? If you're here this morning and you're trying to be a faithful husband, father, employee, church member, disciple maker, you know what it feels like for there to be so many obligations, it feels like it'd be better just to skip meals. If you're trying to live on mission, hold down a job, go to school, all at the same time thinking, God's called me to these things, Jeez. and you feel exhausted, you're in good company. Sometimes, obedience, faithfulness to the mission of God looks like exhaustion for the glory of God. Listen to how Paul describes his ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. The people reading the Gospel of Mark for the first time certainly would have identified with feeling like the Christian life was a race and a fight. In fact, much of Mark's message was written to reassure the worried and exhausted Christian that just because things are hard does not mean you're on the wrong path. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Amen. Jesus calls the crowds to himself with his disciples, and this is what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I see lots of tired faces, right? From what we've been through over the last two months. If you're well rested, <laughs> if you're discipling of others, your sharing of Jesus, your serving your church, your serving your neighbors has not made you physically, emotionally, or spiritually tired recently, I wonder if you are pouring yourself out like the Bible portrays. The American idol of comfort and Jesus' commission are like oil and water. <laughs> they don't go together super well. With all that being said, all that being said, and looking at the example of the apostles, the thing I really want you to notice now in the text is not the tired and busy faces of the apostles. What I really want you to no notice is Jesus' response to them. So Jesus does not scold them for pushing too hard. Jesus does not scold them for needing rest. Rather, Jesus simply invites them to now rest with him. Truth number two, the Christ of the mission invites you to rest with him. Mark 6, verse 31, Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, just think about this. Here is the divine Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah who has authority over demons he, to raise the dead to calm the storm this is the king of kings and the lord of lords and he deserves all of our everything because he's given us all things and here's jesus pausing to show concern for his followers looking into their weary faces and saying okay guys let's get away from all this and let's rest here's the son of god the eternal one looking in the eyes of his followers and caring that they retreat to rest from the busyness and the chaos, from the ministry, to get alone with Jesus, not to be productive, not to have a big staff meeting to figure out what they're going to do next, but just to enjoy nature and quiet and fellowship with Jesus. I think this is communicating something about Jesus and something about following Jesus. Remember, Jesus is always teaching his disciples. He's not willy-nilly sort of making decisions. He's, he's communicating things to them. And so the, the question I had to ask as I came to this, what lesson is Jesus teaching his disciples by leading them away from the chaos of ministry into the mountains to rest a while? And by extension, what lessons does God intend for us to learn this morning by looking at this text? So let me just quickly, and this probably is not all of them, but let me just give you four implications that I think that, I, that we can see from the Word as a whole and from Jesus in this moment. Number one, we need rest with Jesus in order to serve Jesus. Jesus understood the physical, mental, and emotional limits of humanity. Jesus was human. <laughs> he became Human, So he himself experienced the limitations of humanity so much so that he himself had to slip away to get alone. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 35, earlier in the gospel, Jesus, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and he prayed. We've seen Jesus so exhausted that the storm was wrecking the boat, and Jesus is asleep downstairs on the cushion. <laughs> He's sleeping through the storm. In our humanity, we have limitations, even though we don't like it. Amen. We need sleep. We do. At the end of every day, your need for sleep tells you that you're not divine. <laughs> you're a creature, not creator. You're reminded every evening you need sleep. And some of you, even more intensely in the morning, you're reminded. <laughs> we need sleep every evening, and sometimes we need sleep in mid-afternoon. Amen? Amen? We need food. We need water. We need quietness solitude and rest from the chaos and noise of our lives. We might live in one of the loudest, noisiest generations in the history of the world. Amen. We, we just carry noise around with us so that even when we do get alone, we're actually not alone. We're actually listening to the loudness and the, the expectations, and the things you don't want to miss out on, and the things pressing in around us. Your human brain was not made to operate like that. Mm -hmm. You were made to operate in rhythms of busy, chaos, noise, people <coughs> pressing around, not enough time to eat, and then silence, mm -hmm. and rest, and only God being the one to talk to. But we live in a generation where that's actually the hardest thing for us to do. And we're starving ourselves of silence and starving ourselves of enjoying the presence of God. Jesus understood that if these apostles were going to serve Jesus on the difficult mission, they had to rest with Jesus. The, the resting, the departing from the chaos of the crowds was not to escape the work of the ministry. It was to rejuvenate so you could go back into the work of the ministry ready to rock. This is not escapism. I want to escape my responsibilities. It is I need to go rest so I'm better at carrying out the work of the ministry Jesus has called me to. The retreat was only for a moment so they could have a stronger affront against the kingdom of darkness. We need rest with Jesus in order to serve Jesus. But rest not only rejuvenates us. It also reminds us of who really is the one carrying out the mission. Implication number two, rest reminds us that God is in control. When we retreat to be alone with God, we have to trust God with all the other responsibilities, right? When we retreat to be alone with God, we have to trust that we're not actually missing out on something so important. The world doesn't need us so much <laughs> that we have to be present for. I mean, this was part of the point of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. One of the reasons why the people of God had to rest one day a week on the seventh day, to rest from their work, from their business, from their agriculture, was because they were declaring to the watching world, our God takes care of us. We can actually just take a break and chill for a whole day, and we're still going to eat better than you. And the rest of the world watches and thought the people of Israel were crazy. You guys are lazy bums. You stop for a whole day and just expect food to keep coming in. And they said, yes. 
Because God is ultimately the one who grows the harvest. And so we get to rest because we know that we're just laboring under the hand of a sovereign ruler who loves us. And so one of the reasons we hate to rest, one of the reasons I personally hate to rest, I'm bad at it, <laughs> is because I'm so stinking prideful that I think God needs me to be involved in everything. And so it's hard to get away from me. And so one of the things that rest does for me is that it humbles me to realize I'm not God. I'm just a servant under the hand of a mighty God. And if I die today, the kingdom of God in St. Rose is not in jeopardy. <laughs> God's not going to be twiddling his thumbs wondering how in the world he will make the gospel known in this community or in any community. Implication number three. Rest reminds us that we are saved by grace and not by works. The disciples were not hard at work because they somehow needed to earn favor with Jesus. They were hard at work because they already had relationship with Jesus. And if their salvation or standing with Jesus was based on their productivity, based on their works, based on everything that they could accomplish, rest doesn't make sense. Don't waste time with rest if you need to earn God's favor by how much you do for him. But that's not the case. The gospel proclaims your standing with Jesus is based off of what Jesus did for you, Amen. not what you can do for Jesus. Amen. The gospel says Jesus did it, and now you get to participate. Our standing with Jesus is based off of the works of another, not our own works. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. The best kind of rest is gospel-centered rest. It's the kind of rest that casts away anxiety and guilt and stress because the most important things in the universe are already secured for us. Our eternal life is secure. Our standing before God is secure. God's love for us is secure. And that's why Jesus invites us to rest with words like these. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. <coughs> Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be honest with you, there have been moments in my life as the pastor of this church where I have read that, pas that passage and I have gotten frustrated at God mm. because that passage felt like a lie. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Your burden is light. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, like people, eternities all around are at stake. Like the labor, the ministry is hard. Like Jesus, you are lying to me right here. It doesn't feel restful to pour out my soul. Paul's life doesn't look restful to be beaten. John the Baptist doesn't look restful to get your head lopped off. What's restful about all this? It has to be a gospel-centered restfulness where you do pour out your life, but not under the pressure as if things depend on you, but out of the joy of what God has done for you. So yeah, we pour out, yeah, we labor, yeah, we get our heads lopped off, but but not because we gotta we gotta earn.
something from God. We do it out of a place of rest. My salvation is a done deal. Lop off my head now and I'll have it back for eternity. So there's rest and the burden is light because the gift we have is eternal. And the circumstances we endure are temporary. Rest reminds us that we're saved by God's grace, not our own strivings. And then lastly, implication uh, number four. And, and neither Mark nor Jesus explicitly teach this in this text. But it's something that we see across the Bible, and this is what makes the burden light. Number four, the best rest in this life is just a foretaste of a better eternal rest. The best rest in this life is a foretaste of a better eternal rest. Jesus invites these guys to rest with him for a quick retreat so they can gear up and go back into battle. But one day, Jesus will welcome us into a rest that doesn't end. One day, Jesus will welcome us into a rest where we're not gearing up to go into any more battles. One day, he'll invite us into a rest, and the battle will be won. The, the, the feast will not end. The victory celebration will never be over. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of this this sabbath to come hebrews 4 9 says there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god there's a rest we will enter into one day with a new heaven and a new earth where we will no longer be fighting our sin no longer be fighting our temptations no needing to go on mission no longer needing to share jesus because we'll all know jesus one day the heavens and the earth will be renewed and rest will be final so, four implications to all this. Rest addresses our weaknesses. Rest reminds us that God's in control. Rest reminds us that we're saved by grace. And rest reminds us that we've got rest eternally to come. Now, let me leave you with two simple takeaways. All right? Two simple takeaways. You're hearing the sound of my restless nights right now. <laughs> <laughs> let me leave you with two takeaways. Simple. Number one, work hard. Rest. See, see, the problem with this whole sermon is that there are different kinds of people out here. And there are ditches on each side of the road. Some of you work so hard you never take time to be alone with the Lord. And some of y'all rest too hard that you ain't even really resting with the Lord. All right? And so there's really two takeaways. So the first one is work hard. Rest is not the default in this life. Rest is for the purpose of recharging to get back to work. For some of us, we are in no danger of overworking ourselves. The Bible suggests in the Old Testament, this is just a principle, that you should rest one day a week to be with the Lord. To rest, to enjoy the Lord, not to work. And many of us have made rest the default, and maybe we'll serve the Lord a little bit one day a week. And that is wrong. <laughs> the Bible does not teach that the Christian life should be a life of leisure with occasional acts of sacrifice. It says that you will daily pick up your cross to follow this Jesus with occasional retreats to rest. <laughs> 
Let me stir you up this morning. We serve a very big God who's invited us to participate in a very big mission to reach people with the best news in the history of the world that could turn them away from an eternal hell and toward an eternal heaven. So if that's true and God's invited us to participate in a God-sized work, go to bed tired. Wake up early. Wow. Pursue excellence. As a parent and as a spouse and as an employee and as a church member, make disciples, be discipled, share Jesus, bear one another's burdens, be a good church member, use the gifts God's given you to serve others for the glory of God. Work hard, not to earn God's love, but because you've already received it. Work hard. Hallelujah. Pour yourself out. And in your pouring yourself out and coming to the points of exhaustion and coming to the points of weaknesses, you will find that in those spaces, you are nearer to the Lord than you've ever been. Awesome. Because you're needing the Lord more than you ever do otherwise. Work hard. And number two, rest wisely. Now that's important. There's a reason it's not just rest, period. It's rest wisely. All rest is not created equally. Rest is not just anything that takes your mind away from the stresses of your life. Jesus invites them to a desolate place, away from the noise, to enjoy fellowship with Jesus. And we're tempted to think that true rest is anything that avoids our responsibilities. So we think that scrolling through social media for four hours in the evening, mm. that we deserve it because we've worked hard that day and we need to veg for a while. We think Netflix for six hours, we deserve it. But here's the problem, and I'm not against those things. Those things are fine. We're, we're good to enjoy those things. But you're fooling yourself if you think that's the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. Mm. When you watch six that's hours of Netflix, rest. do you feel more rested at the end of that? Or do you feel more like a slug, slobbish, kind of like I've wasted all this? And like, like, are you more ready just to get up and go to work? Because you, Netflix is so, I mean, it just keeps on going to the next episode. You don't have to touch anything, right? You don't wake up more rested. Those ty- types of things don't actually make us feel rested. The, the, the two hours on a bench in the spillway enjoying quiet with the Lord will go a long, long, long way. Far, far farther will that take you than the two hours spent on your phone. Rest wisely. Don't just take a break from responsibilities. Schedule times to take rest away from the noise, away from the phone, and just be present with the Lord. He invites you to that, not as an added burden to you, but as a gift to you. See, what I don't want you to do is listen to this sermon and be like, oh, one more spiritual discipline I'm supposed to do as a Christian. <laughs> Pastor Brandon wants me to go get alone for two hours and, you know, another burden on my shoulder. This, this invitation that Jesus gives to his apostles is not an added burden. This is an invitation to do something that will breathe life abundantly into you. God is wise. Yes, he is. On instructing us to rest in this way. So don't be burdened this morning with, oh man, more things to do. Let me let me just say this. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because there's a sovereign God, you're free to do this. Yeah. And not feel guilty. 
you're free to get alone with the Lord and enjoy His presence. So, two big truths. The Christian mission is difficult, tiring, and costly. But truth number two, the Christ of the mission invites you to rest with Him. So let's pray that we would strike that balance well, right? Working hard and pouring ourselves out, but pausing to rest with the Lord. Let's, let's pray to that end.